Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hi, everyone. Dan Aminder here. On behalf of all of us at Cardiners, we are thrilled to bring you our Decipher the Guideline series for the 2022 AHA, ACC, HFSA Guideline for the Management of Heart Failure. Get ready for short and bite-sized, high-impact, clinical vignette-based questions designed to highlight core concepts based on cutting-edge evidence that are relevant to your practice. The cases we use are hypothetical and for educational purposes only. This series was developed by Cardiners and created in collaboration with the American Heart Association and the Heart Failure Society of America. It was created by 30 trainees spanning college students through advanced fellowship with mentorship from Dr. Anu Lala, Dr. Robert Menz, and Dr. Nancy Schweitzer. We thank Dr. Judy Bizanson and Dr. Elliot Antman for their guidance. So join us as we get to learn about the guidelines and beyond from 16 leading faculty experts. With that said, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to section 10.1 of the 2022 AHA-ACC-HFSA guideline for the management of heart failure. The question is asked by Western Michigan University medical student and Cardinals intern Shivani Reddy, answered first by Boston University Cardiology Fellow and Cardinals Ambassador Dr. Alex Pipilis, and then by expert faculty Dr. Ileana Pinya. Dr. Pinya is Professor of Medicine and Quality Officer for the Cardiovascular Line at Thomas Jefferson University, Clinical Professor at Central Michigan University, and Adjunct Professor for Biostatistics and Epidemiology at Case Western University. She serves as Senior Fellow and Medical Officer at the Food and Drug Administration's Center for Devices and Radiological Health. Dr. Pinya, what an honor it is to have you with us today. And it's great to be with all of you. All right. With that said, Shivani, I hear you have a question for us. Yes, thank you, Dinu. So today we have Mrs. Framingham, who is a 65-year-old woman who presents to her cardiologist's office for stable angina and worsening dyspnea and minimal exertion. She has a history of non-insulin-dependent type 2 diabetes mellitus and hypertension. She's taking metformin, linagliptin, lisinopril, and amlodipine. Blood pressure is 119 over 70 millimeters of mercury, and labs are notable for a hemoglobin of 14.2 milligrams per deciliter, iron of 18 micrograms per deciliter, ferritin of 150 micrograms per liter, transferrin saturation of 15%, and normal creatine kinase. An echocardiogram shows reduced LV ejection fraction of 25%, and coronary angiography shows obstructive lesions involving the proximal left anterior descending left circumflex, and right coronary arteries. In addition to optimizing GDMT, which of the following are recommendations for changes in management? A. Anticoagulation, percutaneous revascularization, and IV iron. B. A change in her diabetic regimen, percutaneous revascularization, and PO iron. C. A change in her diabetic regimen, surgical revascularization, and IV iron. D, a change in her diabetic regimen, medical treatment alone for coronary artery disease, and PO iron. Or E, anticoagulation and surgical revascularization. And to help us out with the correct answer, we have Alex. So Alex, over to you. Thanks, Shivani. The correct answer here is C a change in her diabetic regimen plus surgical treatment for her coronary disease 
and IV iron. Multimorbidity is common in patients with heart failure. More than 85% of patients with heart failure also have at least two additional chronic conditions, of which the most common are hypertension, ischemic heart disease, diabetes, anemia, chronic kidney disease, morbid obesity, frailty, and malnutrition. These conditions can markedly impact patients' tolerance to GDMT and can inform prognosis. Not only was Ms. F found to have HEFREFs, felt most likely due to ischemic cardiomyopathy, but she also suffers from severe multivessel coronary artery disease, hypertension, and non-insulin-dependent type 2 diabetes. In addition to starting optimized goal-directed medical therapy for heart failure, specific comorbidities in heart failure patients or in specific treatment strategies. Ms. F would benefit from a change in her diabetic regimen, namely switching from linagliptin to an SGLT2 inhibitor, for example, empagliflozin, dapagliflozin. In patients with heart failure and type 2 diabetes, the use of SGLT2 inhibitor is recommended for the management of hyperglycemia and to reduce heart failure-related morbidity and mortality with a class 1 recommendation and a level of evidence A. Furthermore, as she has diabetes, symptomatic severe multivessel coronary disease, and an LVEF less than 35%, surgical revascularization with coronary artery bypass grafting is warranted to improve symptoms, cardiovascular hospitalizations, and long-term all-cause mortality with a class 1 recommendation and a level of evidence B. Given the severity of her coronary disease, presence of diabetes, and coronary anatomy suitable for bypass, percutaneous or medical treatment alone are inappropriate, as reflected in option B and D. Although she does not have anemia, she may benefit from IV iron. IV iron supplementation has been shown in the FAIR HF, Iron Out HF, and affirm AHF trials to significantly improve NYHA functional class, six-minute walk test, quality of life, and decrease hospitalizations for heart failure, independent of anemia. These effects were not seen with iron given orally, options B and D. Iron deficiency is usually defined as a ferritin level less than 100 or 100 to 300 micrograms per liter if the transferrin saturation is less than 20%. Therefore, in patients with HEFREF and iron deficiency with or without anemia, Intravenous iron replacement is reasonable to improve functional status and quality of life with a class 2A recommendation, level of evidence B. Although heart failure is a pro-thrombotic, pro-coagulant state, anticoagulation is not warranted empirically for MISAC, who has no evidence of thrombus or high-risk features suggesting impending thrombus. So in summary, multimorbidity is frequent in heart failure patients and treatment targeted at specific comorbidities is warranted. In patients with heart failure and diabetes, an SGLT2 inhibitor should be part of the medication regimen. IV iron should be considered in iron-deficient patients, independent of anemia. And in patients with heart failure with LVEF less than 35% and severe coronary disease with suitable anatomy, coronary artery bypass grafting is recommended. Dr. Pena, what are some of the most frequent comorbidities you encounter in heart failure patients, and how do you prioritize the management? So comorbidities are very common. I see a lot of obesity, particularly in the women. I see the diabetes, whether it stands out as something to be discussed immediately or not. I find men with chronic lung disease, particularly if they have smoked for many years, 
And then in the patients who are much, much older of frailty, which is, a, I think, a comorbidity that often gets just overlooked and kind of swept under the carpet. But hypertension certainly is incredibly frequent, particularly in the African-American patients that we see a lot of in Philadelphia. And it's very hard in a 20-minute visit to address each and every one of them. So what I try to do is set myself up sort of a total plan for the patient, and I see them immediately post-discharge. I have what I call the brown bag clinic, and then set myself up for addressing each one sort of individually at each visit, which requires me then to see the patients frequently to address every single one of these points. Thank you, Dr. Pena. I think that sort of strategy of establishing a long-term plan and thinking about what sort of you can tackle in a single visit, I think is a really great advice for us going forward. Something that I looked at a lot in this case is whether to send the patient to surgery. In the STITCH trial, differences in when you revascularize with cabbage showed up much later. It didn't show up in the short term. And the summary of the patient says that she has stable angina and dyspnea on exertion. I want to remind all of us, because I have a patient just like this who was in the hospital last week, is that in patients with diabetes, their anginal symptoms may not be very significant because they can have painless ischemia, and it could be manifest in dyspnea. So it could be the anginal equivalent of the chest pain could be dyspnea and exertion, and that may be driving this even more than the heart failure piece of things. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alex and Dr. Pena, for helping us figure out the best plan of action for Mrs. Framingham and helping us better understand the complexities of addressing comorbidities in patients with heart failure. The anticoagulation question was something that troubled us for many, many years. When I was at Temple in the 90s, we were anticoagulating everybody. And then we said as a community, we need to test the question. And the question was tested in the trial was called WARCEF. So even though the guidelines say this now, there was a time when we were anticoagulating people, not by guidelines, but just by looking at these ventricles that looked terrible. So WARCEF compared warfarin to aspirin, and we found that the two were very similar and it didn't change mortality. And that's when we really turned around and said, we don't need to anticoagulate these patients unless you see an actual thrombus and especially a fresh thrombus that you are very worried about. So I just wanted to make that clarification about the uh, thrombosis question. Thank you so much for sharing that valuable historical perspective with us, Dr. Pena. That was really awesome to learn about. 